tonight to 1 Kings chapter 18. Whenever I think of this message tonight, uh, for some reason it kind of takes me back to when I was a boy and thinking about going to the movie theater and uh, down in Ash Grove, Missouri, and uh, boy, for a quarter, I mean, you could get in the, the show for... I think a nickel, and then you get a bag of popcorn for a nickel, and a Coke for a nickel, and you had all kinds of money, and most of the time us kids had to sit on the floor. It was just a very, very small theater, and of course everything was in black and white, as you might expect, but uh, I love those old westerns, you know, Tom Mix, Bob Steele, Hopalong Cassidy, or whoever, you know, all of those old-timey westerns and after a while they're kind of predictable because eventually eventually you knew toward the end there's going to be a showdown going to be a shootout on the street you know and the good guy with the white hat he 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 was going to win well i mentioned that because tonight we're going to talk about a showdown a showdown at sundown And um, throughout the Bible, we find God calling to man and for a response from man. It opens up with God calling to Adam, and the Bible closes with the Spirit and the church calling out to whosoever will. And every preacher has the responsibility of calling his generation to God. And the fact that people do not respond does not relieve him of his obligation. You know, it's real easy to say, well, it doesn't do any good. Nobody's going to listen or anything. I might as well quit. Well, you know, that's not why we do what we do. We we do what we do because that's what God expects. Well... I say that because here in our text tonight, it tells us of a man who did his duty under the, under the toughest conditions. And of course, you know who I'm talking about. That's Elijah. Remember, it hasn't rained for about three and a half years, and he is about to face Ahab, the most wicked king ever, along with 850 false prophets. There's going to be a showdown. It starts in verse number 17, verses 17 through 20, speaks about the conflict. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather, gather to me all of Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which sat at Jezebel's table. So so Ahab sent unto all of the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. So here is the picture of the conflict itself. And as I said, it's been over three years since it's rained. And Ahab is blaming the prophet. 
But I want you to notice in verse number 18 that Elijah describes the real cause of the problem. He says, Ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now, it's obvious that Elijah is not trying to win friends and influence people. He's not taking the diplomatic approach and thinking to himself, you know, this is the king and I need his favor. And if I'm going to stay in the ministry, I've got, you know, I've got to, I've got to literally keep my head. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want to offend him. But boy, he gets right to the point. He doesn't pull any punches. And uh, he says, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. And so he's getting down to the true nature of the problem. You know, there's a lot of confusion today, and we hear all kinds of explanations as to why things are as they are. I mean, everything under the sun, you, you know, you look at the political world, for example, and we think, well, this is the reason things are like they are. Somebody else comes along and they say, well, it's because of the public school system and the direction that they've gone. And everyone has some explanation for why things are as they are. Even in religious circles, for example, there's a lot of bewilderment because there are those that tell us, well, the scriptures are no longer relevant. They're outdated, you know, that, that's not going to solve our problems today. Others tell us that the church ministry ought to be more of a social nature. You know, that we've got to be loving and kind and reach out and provide the, you know, the physical needs of others and generate goodwill among people and things such as that. So, you know, they say we, we need to get involved in the social gospel. Others come along and say, what we really need, you know, is some new methods. We're, you know, just the old-fashioned methods aren't working, and so uh, we, need, we need some new methods today. And there are a lot of churches in the past that have tried that, a lot of churches now that are doing that. They've got all of these man-made programs that they initiate with the idea that this is going to help us reach people. And generally, when they talk about reaching people, all they mean is it's going to help us to get a bigger attendance in church and more money, you know, and a bigger name for ourselves. And then there are others, and it's sad to say that a lot of times there are a lot of preachers in this group. There are those that blame everything on the times in which we live. You know, well, this is just a sign of the times, you know, that we're not really able to do anything for the Lord. You know, things are bad, and we can't do anything about it, and so... Uh, you know, they just slack off and back off and, uh, and, and consequently refuse to obey the Lord. But our problem is exactly the same as Israel's problem, and that is that we have forsaken the fountain of the living water, and we've hewn out broken cisterns that hold no water. Here we are engaged in spiritual warfare, and we're playing games rather than engaging the enemy. Really, I'm talking about the average church today. Rather than thinking of being in a spiritual warfare, they're involved in everything under the sun, you know, all these different programs and what have you, and trying to make it a fun house. And boy, the churches, you know, that specialize on that. The pastor comes riding in on a motorcycle and doing cartwheels and everything under the sun just 
you know, just trying to impress people. So there's a conflict going on today, and that conflict has been going on throughout history. And here we see a man, Elijah, right smack dab in the middle of that conflict. Now, look at verse number 21. I want you to notice the challenge here. And not just a conflict, but there's a real challenge. It says, Elijah came unto all of the people and said, he's going to, he's calling them out, in other words. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him, not a word. So remember, he has just identified what the problem is. He's gathered the 850 false prophets at Mount Carmel for the showdown. And it's hard to imagine in the first place that this wicked king would obey Elijah. Does that impress you? Whenever they come together and Elijah says, you know, I'm not the one that troubled Israel. You're the one that's troubled Israel. Gather all of Israel Get all of the false prophets. Let's meet at Mount Carmel and we're going to settle this. You know, the king is obeying the prophet. And you've got to wonder why in the world would he do that? Why wouldn't he just say, look, buddy, I've had enough of you. You've caused all of these problems. You've withheld the rain and so forth. And he could have had him executed right there on the spot. But I suspect that Ahab thought that Elijah was going to fail and make a fool out of himself. And so he didn't anticipate what was about to happen. I'll guarantee you that. And so for him to cooperate in this plan, this suggestion or command, however you want to look at it, from Elijah, it seems to me like he's thinking, yeah, yeah, he's going to make a fool out of himself and so forth. And so they gathered the crowd Now look at verse 21. This is the pertinent question here. How long halt ye between two opinions? So that's the pertinent question, but then comes the call for a decision. If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And again, I'm amazed that they are so indecisive. Remember, they have been experiencing divine judgment upon the land They haven't had any rain in about three and a half years. And uh, the prophets of God have have all all been murdered, except, you know, Elijah and those that Obadiah hid in a cave. But Ahab's wife Jezebel has been having them murdered one after another. So here they are standing at a crossroads like a calf looking at a new gate, you know, and, 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 and they don't answer him a word. No response whatsoever. No cat calls or no willingness to, to respond. And I think it's a bit like that today. You know, more than ever, we need preachers saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Because it's not enough to just simply preach a message with a take it or leave it attitude. You know, well, here it is. I've given you the truth. There it is in a 30-minute lesson and what have you, and a few illustrations and a poem thrown in. You do with it what you will. You're the one responsible for it, but, you know, I fulfill my responsibility just with that take it or leave it attitude. And that happens to preachers a lot because they get discouraged over time, and it becomes a matter, I think, of self-preservation. 
They get so discouraged. It's how can, you know, I, I know that I shouldn't quit the ministry, so how do I stay in the ministry? And they do that by building a protective wall around them and not letting people close to them and just going through the motions of doing their job, delivering the message, leaving it with the people to take it or leave it attitude. There are no prayers, no tears, no real heartfelt concern. And, uh, you, you know, whenever that happens, we, we automatically know that the problem's never going to get solved. People have to be, number one, informed. And that's what Elijah is doing. He's informing them as to the true nature of the problem. But then notice there is a challenge here to make the right decision. That's, that's the major difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching ought to be teaching, but there's more to preaching than teaching because in preaching, after you give the information, there is a challenge to take that and do something with it. Now, it's true, we can't force people to change, but we ought to use all of our powers to persuade them to do so. We ought to let them know it's not acceptable to just sit and listen and soak it up and not put it into practice. We're to be doers of the Word, the Bible says. Now, the contest begins in verse number 22. And um, I think we'll just look at this a little bit at a time instead of reading through all of it. Most of you, I think, are familiar with what happens as the contest takes place because now with the challenge thrown out there, he initiates a contest. It's a, Really, it's a simple proposal. The 450 prophets of Baal, he says, that they're to prepare a, a bullock and a, for a sacrifice, pray to their God, you know, and, and then he, he, would, he would prepare a sacrifice and pray to his God. And the God that answered by fire, they would let that be the true and the living God. Now, I want you to notice five things about this contest. I've alluded a little bit to the to the first thing, and that is that issues have to be clarified. Verse 17 and 18, he made it clear that it's not a lack of rain that's the problem, it's a lack of repentance. It's not a lack of rain. You know, as we look at our problems in America today, we think, well, you know, the problem is, for, think about crime, for example, murder. And we say people don't don't value life anymore and and so we look back and we wonder you know why is it that people generally speaking have no real value of life we look back and we say well it's Bo, uh, Roe versus Wade we go back to the abortion issue and the influence that that has had on the mindset of people about the value of life and and there's something to be said for that naturally but that's not at the very root of our problem. And we could look at all of these other issues that troubles our society, and we can go back and somebody says, well, we've got all of this crime and all these drugs. It's a lack of education. We just need more government money to initiate more programs in the schools and, and, you know, and to teach the children. Education, that's what we really need. But we just keep doing that, and education really doesn't change anything. Everything keeps getting worse. We never get around to dealing with the basic fundamental issue, that, which is the need for repentance, because our problem is of a spiritual nature. 
The second thing I want you to notice is that indecision must be challenged. Look at verse number 21. And Elijah came unto all of the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. He has challenged their indecision. And uh, we need to do that. I think, you know, even as parents dealing with our children or, or uh, one friend dealing with another friend, there are so many people that are just like Israel in that day. You know, they hear what the Bible says and they hear what the world says and they, they just sit there like they're dumbfounded, not doing anything. And their indecision must be challenged. They need to realize that there is no neutral ground, no neutral territory whatsoever. We are for Christ or we're against Christ. You know, like somebody said about, you know, somebody, you know, talk about taking, I'm going to take the middle of the road. And somebody said, well, the only thing you find in the middle of the road is dead skunks and yellow lines. You know, that's the only thing that's there. And it's, and we don't solve anything by just trying to please everybody taking the middle of the road. We need to get on the right side. And so that indecision has to be challenged. Thirdly, I want you to notice we're starting in verse 22. And I'm going to read several verses here because idolatry must be condemned. You, you, you can't, you, you know, you can't just say, well, one religion is as good as another. We all have our different viewpoints. This last week, I, uh, I learned, and I've got to really be careful how I word this because I don't want to be needlessly offensive, uh, but I learned about a, a, a person that I care about and I've known ever, well, ever since we've been here and uh, uh, the church they were going to. And I, I, I already knew just, you know, from the name of the church, I knew exactly what to expect. At least I thought I did. But I thought, you know, I, 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 I'm just going to check it out. And so I go to the website and I look it up. And so they, uh, they give what they believe is the, uh, the plan for salvation, which they're totally wrong on. Sad. Sad. Somebody that's been raised in an independent, fundamental Baptist church and now a part of something that is teaching something totally the opposite of what the Bible teaches but I was reading that then they give an explanation that's, but that's the way we feel about it. And of course, everybody, you know, everybody has their own views and have to answer to, you know, for themselves. And we're not saying that we're the only ones that are right. And I, I just wanted to vomit. It was absolutely, I mean, look. You know, if you don't, if you don't think what you believe is right, you need to change it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And and certainly, if Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life; no man comes to the Father but by me," there's no room for you know, no room for anything else. So idolatry has to be condemned, and that's what's going on, starting here in verse 22. Let's read it in Elijah. And Elijah then said, Elijah, unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. 
But Baal's prophets are 450. Uh, you know, can you see the wheels turning in the minds of the people that are standing there watching this? Like, yeah, dude, and you're going to lose. You're going down. You don't stand a chance. One man against 450. And, of course, there's the other 400. Verse 23, let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it cut it in pieces and lay it, uh, on, uh, it on wood and put, on, uh, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, plural, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all of the people answered and said, it is well spoken. <laughs> Yeah, it really was, but but they don't have a clue, I don't think. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal, notice, from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is he is a God. Either he is taking or he is pursuing, or he be in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. Your God might be taking a nap. That's what he's saying to them. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. This gets wilder by the minute whenever you read what's going on here. Uh, Now we've got, got them cutting themselves. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. It's obvious they failed, right? And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. We'll comment on that after a while. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed, and he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. They're probably thinking he's lost his mind. And the water ran about the altar, and, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, help me out here. My eyes have gone flat blurry. I can't read those next few words. Brother Kenneth, read that thou art God in Israel, 
and that I am thy servant, and I, I have done all these things at thy word. Now verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Amen. So, now this, this is where the contest is actually taking place. Notice I said that the issues here have been clarified to start with here. And then he is condemning the, the idolatry here. And as the prophets of Baal go out, and, and keep this in mind, here they are, they're frantic. I mean, they, they can see they're losing. You know, Elijah's not up to bat yet, but they know they're striking out. There's no doubt about that. And so they're putting on a big demonstration here of jumping up and down on the altar and cutting themselves and the blood is flowing. And then Elijah steps up to the plate. Now, keep in mind that Elijah, in, in condemning their religion, which he had to do, by the way, uh, is running the risk of offending the people. That's why I said earlier, he's not trying to win friends and influence people because he is condemning them outright. And, and notice that that he even felt justified in mocking them in their failure. Why would he do that? Publicly mocking them. Somebody says, well, you know, they shouldn't have done that. All that's going to do is just provoke them. He's trying to drive home a point to the nation of Israel, and he knows that's going to get their attention. You know, we live in a day where it's supposedly taboo to criticize anything um, except fundamental Christianity. You know, we seem to be fair game for everybody. It's all right if they criticize us and so forth, but we're not supposed to raise our voice against anything because it's not socially acceptable, it's not politically correct, so we're supposed to, you know, just say nice things about everybody. Now, I'm not saying that a preacher ought to be a religious rebel rouser just stirring up trouble, going around looking for a fight and being, you know, uh, decisive needlessly. I'm not saying that. Uh, he's not being decisive. I mean, there, there's already a division here, a major division. And I think it's fair enough that he said, the God that answers by fire, let him be the God. You call on your gods, I'll call on my God, and we'll see who answers, and we'll let that be the God. But Elijah realizes that this is a false religion. It's deceiving people. It's destroying lives, and that's why it had to be condemned. And then he conveys the instructions to them. Notice he, did, he, he didn't just leave it hanging in the air. He tells them exactly what to do. These are the ground rules for the contest. You know, you take your bullock and you put it on wood and you do this and you do that. And then when it comes to him, notice that, that uh, <laughs> he, he puts the bullock on the wood there and he says, now dump a barrel of water on it. Now do it again and do it again. And he fills the trench with water here. And so it's a picture of the fact that he's showing that he is totally dependent upon God. You see, he designs this whole thing so to show that everything is dependent upon the Lord. You, you know, man can only do so much. 
And, and the answer is going to have to be something that's obviously God. And that's why he, has, he is soaking the meat down with water. Because they there's not going to be any trick here. So he soaks the meat down with water. But notice there in verse 36 and 37, and this is what James alluded to, of course, when he talked about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much. Notice here that intercession has to be completed. And he prayed. What do you suppose would have happened had he not prayed? If you answered nothing, you're absolutely right. And there's so many times, you know, he could have gone through all the motions and just said, okay, there it is. And uh, now if God wants to be recognized as God, let God, you know, send fire down from heaven. He didn't do that. He began to pray to the Lord. And it makes no difference what we do if we fail to pray because absolutely everything that had been done would have been in vain had they not prayed. And folks, it's the same with us. It, it makes no difference what we do. You know, we can dot all of the I's and cross all of the T's and do everything according to Hoyle and so forth. But whenever it's all said and done, if God doesn't step in and if God doesn't do something, we're going to fail. And the, and the thing that causes God to launch out into the endeavor is whenever His people pray. You know, it's one thing. We, we can build buildings. We can schedule our services. We can preach. We can teach. We can sing. We can organize community uh, activities and so forth and special activities, do all of those things. But if we don't pray, it's all going to end in failure. He prayed, and when he prayed, the fire fell. And he prayed again, and rain fell. Think about that. Fire and rain through prayer, we serve a supernatural God. That being the case, you know, we, because we all know that's a fact, don't we? Because that's what the Bible says. And, and we have to ask ourselves, then why don't we really pray? Uh, you know, we, we, want, we sing, there shall be showers of blessings. We want blessings. We want to see souls saved, but so many times we don't pray as we ought to. And we can't survive by just talking about the things that God has done in the past. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? To look back there and uh, read this story and to read about Daniel in the lion's den and the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Boy, it's so exciting to read back and to think about all of the things that God did back then, but... God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, he, He's not limited by time or by anything else. And whatever He did then, He can still do now. And let me tell you, the world needs to see a living demonstration of God's presence and God's power. I love the way that, that Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and here the church at Corinth has been bickering about their different spiritual gifts. Some of them are jealous because, you know, they, they don't have a particular gift that they would really like to have. And they're arguing amongst themselves. And Paul is trying to, 
trying to solve all of the problems and give them clear instructions. And there, especially in chapter number 14 of the first letter, when it comes to the spiritual gifts and the gift of tongues especially, he just laid it out that the, this, these are the rules by which the church has to be governed if that particular gift is going to be used. Let me just throw this in. Today, the modern-day charismatic movement, if they just followed those simple things right there, it, it alone would cause it to pass away. Because when you look at those things, everything must speak in order. Only one must speak at a time. The women couldn't speak and so forth. Now, I know what I'm talking about because I was raised right in the heart of the Assemblies of God Pentecostal movements in Springfield, Missouri. I know what I'm talking about. And I know who does most of the talking. And I know the manner in which they go about it. And I know what the Bible says about it. Now let me tell you, if they're not following those rules, then who am I to believe that anything else they're doing in that regards is of the Lord? Are you, are you with me? Paul's giving them these instructions there. Now, if you only get mad about that, you know, take it up with Paul and take it up with God. I'm just telling you what, what he says. But here he says there, he, he, he says that, you know, if every man exercises his gift in the manner that it ought to be, and, and he, he said, you know, if one come in that is unlearned and ignorant, here's an unsafe person, doesn't know anything about the Bible, and everybody is just jabbering in an unknown tongue, he, Paul says, in essence, he's going to think that you're crazy, you've lost your mind. That, that's what they're going to think coming to a place like that. And I can understand that because I can remember as a little boy peeking in the window watching what went on. And I thought, boy, these people, there's something wrong here. And I didn't know anything about the Bible. And Paul says, that's what people's going to think. But he said, if, if you exercise your spiritual gift in the manner in, that God intended, and then an unbeliever come in among you, when they come in, they will be convinced and they will leave and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, folks, there's a lot of different ways in which people are impressed and a lot of different ways in which God can use us to make an impression on people. And whenever people come, you know, there's so many times people come through the door. There, there are folks, for example, that come and they might hear me say something about, you know, that we use only the King James Version of the Bible. And if somebody wants to know why, you know, Brother Kenneth or I, either one, will take an hour and explain to them and show them exactly why we believe what we do. But there are folks come in. They've never heard that before. They think, well, good night. What's wrong with using all of these modern versions and so on and so forth? They don't understand that. And we talk about other issues that you and I, you know, uh, those of you that have been saved and in the church a long time, you're familiar with they come. They don't really understand anything about that. And the whole thing is, whenever they leave, it might be that they're not going to agree with us on every little point, every little detail. But let me tell you something. If we conduct ourselves in the manner in which we should, when they leave, they will have to confess, Whew, I, I don't know about that other stuff the preacher talked about, but I'll tell you one thing, God's in that place. 
That's the kind of impression that we need to make on people. And I say that we need to make, I'm talking about impressing them with the presence and the power of God that they will recognize that God's doing something in that place. That's the point. That's what we see going on here on Mount Carmel. Elijah's not trying to impress them with what a great miracle worker he is. You know, he could have said, now I want you all to, I want you all to recognize the great talent that God has given me. I want you to, I want you to understand my unique abilities. You've never seen a preacher quite like me, you know. I top them all. I'm thinking about writing a book and making a movie and you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because that goes on all of the time nowadays. He wasn't trying to impress them personally. He wanted for them to be impressed with his God. Now notice the conquest, verse 38 and 39 and verse number 40. This is where the victory is. Then, then, that's such an important word. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all of the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said unto them, Now listen to this. Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, I will agree that when you first read that, it seems cruel and it seems like cruel and unusual punishment. But if it seems that way to you, it's because you haven't really studied your Bible. Keep in mind that these men are responsible for promoting a false religion. They're responsible for the death of God's prophets, and they don't have any plans to stop. They are an enemy. They're not only misleading people spiritually away from God, they're killing the people of God and happy about it. It has to be stopped. And in their execution. They got exactly what the law demanded. If you don't believe me, you can read it in Deuteronomy chapter number 13. That's what God prescribed. Elijah did not have any other option. God said, you know, look, if you knew that your, that, that your neighbor or someone had poisoned your children... And they were sick and at the point of death, or maybe they even died. I'll guarantee you would want them prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Because people like that have got to be stopped. Justice has to prevail in a nation or it ultimately will be destroyed. Don't misunderstand, we're not under that same law today. And we don't have a right to be a vigilante and take the law in our hand and say they deserve to die and, you know, and I'm going to take care of it. I'll be the executioner. We don't have that right to do that. We're not under that particular law. But what I'm saying is 
that if we expect to be victorious, we have to do what God commands, whatever it is. And at that time, under the Old Testament law, it required those people to be put to death. I'll guarantee you some of the people were scratching their head at this point and thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, Elijah says, bring all the false prophets down here. Bring, bring, bring them down here. That word take means capture. Bring them. Bring them down here. And I don't know whether you noticed or not, but it says there, and this is personal, uh, there in verse number 40, uh, that that Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. He did it. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be already a little bit tired and wore out from this contest that's gone on. And now you've got 850 false prophets there all lined up. You know, they've been captured. And he, he's bound to know that human nature being what it is, some of those people are thinking, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we ought not let him do that. <laughs> you know, maybe they're thinking we can't stop him. I mean, if he can pray down fire and water from heaven, you better be careful about opposing a man like that. And I don't know, maybe it crossed Elijah's mind, you know, if I do this, <laughs> Ahab's going to have my hide. He didn't care. He wasn't thinking about that. You know what he had in mind? God said in the law, Deuteronomy 13, God said this is what, is to be done with those false prophets. And I've got to obey God. He's just challenged the nation to obey God, and now he's on the spot, and it's his responsibility to obey God. Remember I said way back at the beginning of this study that God doesn't excuse us from duty because it's difficult or because it's dangerous. So many times we think that we can excuse ourselves because, oh, well, that's going to be too hard. Or, we, you know, we think, well, that, that's going to be really dangerous if I do that. Yeah, it might be dangerous for you to do that. Brother Darren has a son in Thailand, am I right? Cambodia. And uh, what they're doing over there is dangerous. Uh, I can give you many examples of missionaries in these foreign countries that are serving God every day, and it's dangerous. But if they're going to obey God, they don't have any choice but to go and lay their life on the line. And if, look, if we really believe that God is the almighty, powerful God that He is, our greatest fear should not be should not be the danger we face in doing His will, but rather the consequences of not doing His will. We live in troublesome times, and there is a great conflict going on today. And you and I, we need to, we need to stand up and speak up and not shut up. I'm not saying that we ought to be needlessly offensive to people. That's not what I'm saying. We just need to let it be known that the Lord, He is God and we can prove it. Amen. And we can prove it. Amen? Let Him prove that in your life. And He does that best by transforming our lives and making us... He's the change agent. You know, it's not... Sometimes we look at somebody, 
you know, that knew me before might say, boy, I'll tell you what, oh, oh, David Stone, boy, after he became a Christian, he really made some changes. No, I really didn't. It was God that made all of the changes, you see. Because we, we couldn't make those changes, but God and His Spirit working in us changes us. And all we do, according to Romans chapter 12, those first two verses, we just yield ourselves unto Him, present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you don't know what that is, read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Our mind is renewed whenever we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and as we look to Him, the same Spirit, the same Spirit, it says, changes us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. And I'll guarantee you, that will impress your neighbor when they see the likeness of Christ in you. Don't back down. You have a God that is big enough to do whatever needs to be done. Let's all stand together. Our Father tonight, forgive us of the times that we've remained silent simply because we lack the courage to, to say the things that needed to be said. Forgive us of the times, Lord, that we've become contentious and the that we've just let our emotions take over and we've become rude and we've, we've, done, we've done harm to the cause of Christ as a result of it. Give us wisdom and fill our hearts with love that we can speak the truth in love and that we can reach out to those that, that like ancient Israel, that have been deceived by the false religions of the day Help us to be a light that shines in the darkness to give them directions to our blessed Savior that they can know the joy and the thrill and the hope that comes as a result of trusting Him as their Lord and Savior. We thank You for what You did this morning and we just pray tonight that Your will might be done in each of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing together this